Welcome back to the Kaparu cast. I am surrounded by some degenerates, Frank the Tank on the left and Aaron on the right. Hi. <laughs> Definitely bringing up the moral high ground in this room. Oh, hell yeah. Mm, Frank quit looking at porn. I know, right? <laughs> All right. Hey, before we got uh, get into the elk, um, I wanted to, to just run something by you guys. Kind of one of the things I forgot to ask you on the – when we're talking about mule deer um, – so in op- during opening week, have you guys seen bucks shed their velvet or have you, everything you've seen the last, say, five, ten years been hardhorned? Good. Or opening week? Yes. Man, I've never seen one shed their velvet opening week. So <clears throat> this year on – so it opened, what, the 25th this year. I watched one shed his velvet on Monday the 27th, and then I think it was two years ago, I watched one strip his velvet. Um, it was towards the end of the first week. It was before Labor Day, but it was it was after the 1st of September. But I couldn't believe – we got it on video too, this guy stripping his velvet on August 27th. Yeah, I'm thinking about it. I don't think I've ever – I've seen them kind of play around, you know, rubbing, yeah. but I've never, and I've seen them holding their velvet until the 20, 21st or 2nd of September. I've seen them have velvet on their, uh, good bucks still have velvet uh-huh. on both of all those bucks we saw. What was that? The 10th? Yeah, I didn't see, I didn't see any hard horn b- until we went back. Didn't the, didn't the wide one, wasn't he hard, in hard horn? Mm-mm, he was still in velvet. See the... The buck I killed last year, that was the second Wednesday of season. He was hardhorn. Yeah. So that's not too deep into season, but I yeah. didn't see any hardhorn this year in the, the first trip we went. So Yeah. No. Or it's the heat or something or the lack of moisture has something to do with it. Yeah, what do you think? I don't know. I mean, it was I was scratching my head. The first time I saw it, I couldn't believe it because I'd never seen one shed as velvet. But then to see it done in August, you know, like you said, a, a month before, you know, you'd seen them on the tail end of the – them hanging onto their velvet. It was pretty crazy. Yeah. What is the latest you've seen them hold on to velvet, both you yeah, guys? You know, honestly, I've never hunted past uh, Labor Day weekend in Colorado. So yeah. um, I could, I wouldn't be a good barometer for that one. I'm, I'm thinking the 21st or 2nd was probably the latest, and that was in the Bells. Um, and that was a super wet year, which I don't know if that's anything. That probably has to play some role in it yeah i saw two bucks uh last week when i was out elk hunting that were still hard horned and they were both like twin 170 class they, bucks. they were hard horned or still oh, i'm velvet. sorry still velvet yeah. yes yeah have you ever seen them where they get enraged that the velvet's still on they just can't <laughs> handle it it's well, almost this, like they this guy was going nuts yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was funny. I was thinking about the banjo music I'd be playing, you know, in the background. I was showing him on the video. I mean, he was going to town. I just, I, I watched one where he was just like, <laughs> he just, you could see he just, it was, it was twitching his head. And then all of a sudden he, it was funny when he first went ape shit, it was on the dirt grass. <clears throat> he huh. just started beating his horn into the grass and he didn't have anything close by. And then he finally found a bush and he, Got it all off in one sitting. I mean, yeah. he sat there until it was all gone, which, I mean, if it wasn't, it would it would have been a good buck to shoot because he was dumber than shit. I mean, he wasn't paying attention to uh-huh. anything, but um, he wasn't a big, big buck. But, yeah, it is funny when that uh, – ha- same thing happens, too, when I've seen a few times where in they're, they're in the rut and start beating up a – 
willow bush or whatever, they get in there and get enraged, and it'd be a good time to sneak in on them and shoot them. And like Lander, I think, has shot several up in Alberta huh. like that, where they they close their eyes and just start beating the hell out of the red brush. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people take advantage of that when they're out hunting elk. Yeah. yeah. It's a good time to, for sure. Yeah. Is that... Is it the back? Well, okay, so this is what the taxidermist dude told me, but I'm not sure if he's he's right. He said the bacteria between the antler and the velvet starts to itch, and that's why they just get all crazy and they want it gone. Is that true? I w- I would imagine that by the time that their velvet's ready to shed, I guess the I guess that there would conceivably would still be nerve endings in the velvet but obviously the uh the antler is going to be hardened so they're not going to be really feeling anything there but i guess it would have to be nerve endings in the velvet but then you'd think it hurt like heck for them to rub be it stripping off. it yeah, yeah I, I don't know i've heard some crazy shit from different you know what i mean yep. taxidermists and biologists and everything else bro and, science oh yeah yeah no you're i mean you think about some of the gym stuff you hear the bro science gym stuff there's some same bro science and hunting and right. uh Someone was trying to tell me, uh, and maybe this is true, the, they eat the aspen bark because of how their stomach works, and it works like aspirin for them when they're growing their horns back, and it numbs it up. Huh. You know who's bro science? That was Jeremy. <laughs> Jeremy told me that shit. Jeremy. That's willow bark, uh, I think it is, not aspen. Well, yeah, well, and that's the thing. Where we're at is it's aspen. Right. And those big bite marks we see on – there's – I mean, elk eat aspen bark, uh, yeah. but I'm like, are you yeah. sure? Yeah. Uh, maybe. <laughs> yeah, I know. But uh, I mean, I'll eat that. I'll eat it. No, but uh, I've what's some other? I've heard. Uh, ah, it doesn't matter. We'll go into a squirrel hole here. But I've heard some crazy stuff like about the, the rut. I like the random tips you get from like kind of somewhat hunters. Oh I got, yeah. I got back last year from hunting. I was wearing a camo shirt. I went to the burrito place over here in off Alameda. Yeah. And dude's like, are you a hunter? I'm like, yeah. And he's like, you, you hunt elk yet? I'm like, yeah, not really. I might go out next week. And he's like, you need to track them at night, man. I'm like, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> I'm like, okay. Uh, uh, I get that same thing on Instagram. If you feel guilty as you're listening to this that you may have sent a dumb, you know, message to me, then it probably is you. But, man, sometimes I get some that are brilliant, that good ideas. And other times I get people that will message me and I'm like, Oh, you don't think I haven't fucking thought of that? Like, <laughs> oh, okay. But yeah, I don't know. Do you get much messages on your Instagram page? No, you know, not too bad. I don't think I, I get You hear the, that, people? Send yeah. them over. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I should have said something different there. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty crazy. So so I, we're going to – we we just did a podcast on South um, Nevada and Colorado mule deer hunt. We're going to do you one on your Colorado yep. elk hunt. Um, but you, uh, yeah, I had talked to you before and I can't remember exactly what you said. You shot some elk, yep. just not a, a, you're not, a, you're a mule deer guy. Yeah. I've, I don't know. I've shot a handful of bulls, yeah. with, but never, I, I have not shot one with my trad bow. Okay. That's, I couldn't remember yeah. what you told me. You never shot one with a, the stick bow. Yeah. And I've shot some nice bowls with the compound, um, but it's just, it's been a while. And I honestly, I haven't given it a whole lot of effort. I've, you know, I've gone after them some, but it's always been like after I filled my mule deer tag and towards the end of the hunt or whatever. And, and so I really haven't given it an honest effort. And this time I had already tagged out on mule deer. I had a limited entry elk tag. I, I, 
you know, been accumulating, had been accumulating points as a non-resident and didn't have enough points as a non-resident to draw this unit. But then now that I'm become a resident, I actually could have drawn it last year. I had 10 points last year um, and I had more than enough, but it was just, you know, with my move and getting my shop set up and going again and all that, it was just too much going on. So I, uh, I didn't pull the trigger on the tag until this year. And then of course this year ends up being a dry year and then I was sweating it. I actually thought about turning my tag back in but fortunately for me, as, as it worked out, it ended up being beyond that, what, 30-day window that you had to be able to turn it back in and retain your points. Yeah. So at that point – and then to make matters worse, you know, I got a calendar. My wife and I do, so I write down all my hunts. Well, I forgot to write down my elk hunt. <laughs> oh, Lord. So my wife, uh, you know, I'm telling her about this elk hunt, and she's like, what? And uh, so, you know, I, I had to beg my way out of that one. <laughs> was she pretty cool about it or she not? Was, so much. She was. She was a little – well, it didn't hurt that she had just got back from two months in Costa Rica, so. Yeah, I remember that, yeah. Yeah, she didn't have a huge leg to stand on on, on browbeating me too bad, but we bought a, a vacation rental down there this year, and so she was down there breaking it in, and and uh, so, yeah, we um, – I, I, of course, had to go do my mule deer thing first. I wasn't going to let that um, – you know, I wasn't going to let a good elk tag distract me from a – almost over-the-counter, uh, you know, mule deer tag. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. <laughs> so uh, fortunately, tagged out there. And then um, I got a second break when uh, Corey um, Beckendorf there, he, uh, you know, the team backcountry guys, he volunteered to come out to call for me because like Frank, I'm not a great caller myself. And I had another guy that was running camera that could have called for me, but it's pretty hard to run the camera effectively and try to set up and call and, and do all that. So we went out there with a Utah-sized crew. There was four of us, and I uh, kind of felt overkill, you know, four guys going on, on uh, you know, one hunt and trying to trying to do setups and, and all of that. It's It kind of felt like a rodeo in a lot of respects. And um, But as it worked out uh, with two two uh video cameras rolling we got you know some killer footage and we um i had llamas so we packed in i I actually was looking at kind of a a geographically kind of center point area of the unit and uh i ended up just before i left a guy reached out to me on instagram that had uh already filled his tag had the tag for the same unit and so he gave me some insight on an area that he was hunting it was kind of on the fringe and the more i started thinking about it the more it kind of made sense to check that out that area out first because i knew that that middle part of the unit was going to get a lot of attention just because from a from a logistic standpoint being right there in the middle of the unit you could go in any direction and you're going to get you know, into new country, but I also knew that um, there's a lot of guys that were in their road hunting. There's access to wilderness as well as access to national forest. And, uh, but I decided I'd go check out this fringe area first. So we packed in, we only went, we got up to the trailhead an hour before dark and, uh, or as far as once we got loaded and stuff. So we didn't have much time to, to make a lot of distance in the you so know, you, while daylight was you had going. Four llamas, four guys. Uh, three llamas, four guys. 
Yeah, that doesn't what? sound so bad for packing out, though. <laughs> no, <laughs> yeah, uh, no. <laughs> I think we said that about 20 times this year. I wish I had llamas or a mule sounds nice. Yeah. I, <laughs> yeah. So when we went into Nevada this year, I had four llamas. I had two of my own and then two that I rented. And the two that of my own, they're on the small side and max out, you know, about 50 pounds. Um, but one of mine just crapped out with uh, heat stress. And that's one of the things with llamas. If you get them in a warm environment, they can um, – some of them particularly will have problems with heat. And this guy just wasn't cutting it. And uh, <clears throat> so I left him behind on my next two trips, including that elk hunt, and, and uh, just used the two that I rented and the one that I owned. And they worked out great, man. They're um, – they're really good animals. The The two that I rented were two females, and then I've got a gelded male, so he's not intact, so he can't. What, what's better? Not to interrupt, but before I forget, is mm -hmm. a female or a male better? Well, honestly, not too many people pack with females, and I think traditionally – I think it started out more as a tradition than uh, out of practical reason, um, and that uh, largely is – I think because the gestation period on a on a llama is just shy of a year. It's like 350 days or something like that. So, you know, typically your females are going to be pregnant pretty much year round. And, uh, and historically, they've been so valuable that people haven't wanted to pack with them because they can just use them for breeding and then use the males for the packing. Um, and then you run into the problem of if you have a female and a pack string, you have you cannot have an intact male. Although I should have a rodeo with that thing trying to breed that female <laughs> the whole time. So um, this lady that I'm boarding my llamas at, she has all rescue llamas, and so she actually started. She wasn't so interested in breeding and and all of that and expanding her herd because she had had enough animals. So she started packing with her females, and she's got. One of the females I was packing with is 430 pounds, just a beast of a, of a llama. <laughs> yeah. So um, actually on the way out, we had her loaded um, with 85 pounds. And that was uh, it was only for about three miles on the way out. Um, I tend to be a bit conservative on loading them. So I was only loading her with 60 pounds. Um, during the time that we are using her the bulk of the time, you know, both on my mule deer trip and and on this elk trip. Um, so she obviously could carry a lot more when I loaded her with 85. We didn't have any problems with her um, or the other two for that matter. But three miles is nothing for a llama, you know, to go in. So um, we, uh, we basically packed in from the trailhead, got to the top of this ridge. We had a nice canyon right below us with a couple springs, um, in the bottom of it. Um, that night as we were setting up camp, we could hear a bull bugling on the ridge opposite us with that canyon, you know, in the middle there. So we knew right where we were going in the morning. I mean, I already figured, but having bulls bugling right out the gate was, uh, quite a confidence builder. Dad, did you change your set? This is all people, shit's going to be going to ask sure. me. Mm -hmm. Your setup, what is your setup for arrow weight, bow, poundage, and then did you change it from mule deer to elk? Okay, so I shot the same bow. Um, I'm shooting a uh, Apex uh, stalker stick bows, Apex uh, ILF, and I'm working on some prototype longbow limbs. So I was hunting with those all Three hunts I did this year with, with were with those longbow limbs. I shoot uh, 52 pounds at 27 and a half inches, 
I'm shooting those gold tip kinetic shafts with uh, Valkyrie two, 250 grain broadheads up front. Um, and the total arrow weight is 565 grains. My feathers, I'm shooting four fletch with two and a half inch feathers. I actually can get away with shorter. I was shooting inch and seven eighths with broadheads on them. Um, and I was getting perfectly flying arrow flight, but I decided to bump them up to two and a half just in case they got rained on and I was going to lose a little bit of loft there or, you know, stabilization with them. So I decided to go a little bit longer. Um, and I think that for, from a setup standpoint, I, I carry, uh, use a six arrow quiver, four broadheads, two blunts. I love stump shooting the whole time while I'm out there. I also take an extra broadhead and I stuff it in the quiver. Um, so I've got five broadheads, one of them with no shaft attached. And then if things get crazy, then I've, I can unscrew one of my, and I have done this before. I'm embarrassed to say. <laughs> things do get crazy <laughs> with yep. the stick bow. Emptied my quiver and then to unscrewed a field point and screwed a broadhead on. So if worst case scenario, you got one, you know, fairly rapidly accessible right there. I shoot a tab. I shoot that black widow calf hair face tab. Love that thing. And, uh, uh, yeah, I think that's, I, I do shoot a clicker as well. Um, and that's, I started shooting a clicker this year. Um, and that's really helped me out from a consistency standpoint. I used to, you know, overdraw. So I cut my arrows off or they're 28 inches. I used to overdraw to the point where my broadhead would hit my shelf and then kind of settle in and then shoot from there. And it took me a while this year, um, I mean, it's so weird going from shooting that style to shooting where you're, you know, constantly expanding and then, you know, shooting on your expansion rather than on your collapse. And so I find that, you know, even shooting, I'm shooting about three pounds less in draw weight this year than I was last year, but um, just that really slow controlled expansion, um, man, I I quiver a lot more when I'm shooting that way than I did um, when I shot before. The other way, yeah, no, I can, I can imagine. Now, we just because we'll have time, I'm going to ask some questions and we can all chime yep. in. But how many on a on a let's say you did or didn't have llamas, if it would change, you know, answer both. But how many arrows will you pack in on a seven to ten day backpack hunt, both with your compound and your recurve? So when I was shooting with my compound, I'd probably have a dozen um, with including what was in my quiver. And now I'll pack in my quiver full plus a dozen, um, so a full arrow tube. And I, I believe it, I may have beaten you. No. <laughs> <laughs> I, packed, I didn't end up eating them, but I packed it. You pack in what, an extra dozen, don't you? Yeah, I yeah. take five plus a dozen. Uh-huh. There's been guys ask on forums before, and and I always with a compound, I always said I'd bring at least extra six, mm-hmm. um, especially if you like to shoot marmots and, yeah. and grouse. And I've had people comment before of. You know, if, I remember one guy specifically said, if you need more than five, you don't know how to bow hunt. And I'm like, really? Well, obviously, you've never backpacked, Chuckles, uh, uh-huh. backpack hunted because shit happens. Oh, and man. I've, with the compound, I remember opening morning in the bells once I shot a grouse, missed a bull, shot a cow twice, and then I shot a marmot. And I was out of fucking arrows. <laughs> yeah. And all my arrows were like three miles back at base yep. camp. And if I wouldn't have had any arrows, oh yeah, I'd have been done. Yeah. And uh, the cow, I had a broadhead, a grim reaper, it didn't open, and uh, I didn't know. I thought I missed it, 
and it's just standing there. So shot another arrow at it and pinwheeled it. But you're not sharpening most compound arrows or no, broadheads, no. right? And and trying to sharpen, I mean, even sharpening in the field, some broadheads are a lot more pain in the butt than others. And a lot of, you know, with a compound, a lot of the times when you shoot an arrow, it's not going to survive the impact you know, whereas with a stick bow, most of the time they do, but a compound that's so much energy, that arrow's flying so fast, man, it hits something hard and, and uh, you know, bends an outsert or blows up or whatever. So, absolutely. I mean, I I used to have an eight arrow quiver on my compound and there were I, there were hunts that, <laughs> that things got ugly with an eight arrow quiver. <laughs> well, I brought a... Now you don't bring uh, Frank doesn't bring a whole lot for a repair kit. What do you bring? Super glue and some some glue, some D loop material, bow wax, and uh, one of those Leatherman the carbon one. Yeah, and I brought I bring a little bit more than that, basically enough to repair a compound or a. But I'll bring extra inserts because I've had that yeah. happen where I can just pop it off and right. glue, glue an extra yep. insert back on. You do the same yeah. kind of deal, yeah. Yep. Well, the other thing, too, with the recurve, you can shoot all day. Right. So shit can go awry there, too. I mean, and you could not find your arrow if you're, you well, know. <laughs> fast forward, day four, um, we hadn't found a, du- you know, a dumb grouse yet, one that would stand still. <laughs> well, I got up. Uh, we were working on a bull. It was right down below us and, and uh, I don't know, maybe 150 yards or something. And I ran into a couple of grouse and one was on the ground. It was about a, I don't know, 10-yard shot or 15-yard shot or something. So I shoot. I I shot. I think maybe just to the side of it, knocked a couple feathers off. The thing flies up in the tree. So I walk over, I grab my arrow. Now I'm at 10 yards, right? This thing's up in the tree. It's it's on actually a um, a fallen dead snag that had fallen down, was leaning against the tree. So the thing's standing on the dead snag, but the, there's a tree, a perfect backdrop. Now, mind you, I'm shooting these Valkyries, which are – you know, they're essentially a long, skinny field point with a, uh, with a, like a grabber on the back. So I pull up on this thing, thwack, sticks in the tree. And there's, it literally <laughs> lifted the feathers up on the back of this grouse. And so there's feathers laying on top of my arrow and the, and the grouse is kind of crunched hunched down and it's still there. So the, my my uh, camera video in this, he's laughing at me. So it's like, oh, great. Now, <laughs> the, the thing's up there in the tree, but I know if I shoot, you know, and I hit it, then, then I'll be good. But if I miss, then I got another arrow stuck up there in the tree. So I draw back, <laughs> freaking shoot again, thunk, sticks in that tree again. And uh, again, it's just skimming the top of its back. So I got I missed this grouse three times now, under 15 yards, two of them at 10 yards, and both of my arrows are stuck up about 20 feet up this tree. And uh, and the guys look at me like, are you going to start pulling out your broadheads? Because that's <laughs> what I'm down to now. Now I know if I shoot this thing with a broadhead, no matter what, my arrow is up there in the tree because it's going to blow right through the grouse and stick in the tree. I just turned my back and walked away and that thing was still standing <laughs> up there. Yeah. And that kind of stuff happens fr- frequently. I, I, well, Wesley, in the middle of stalking that wide buck, you could see him in the basin and it, all of a sudden it looks like Rocky. He you, he reached his pocket. He, he unscrewed his broadhead, screwed his judo tip on. And then all of a sudden you see this grouse is – running around or whatever and yeah, it was pretty funny or no that actually that wasn't that day that was a different 
That was a different day. But it was funny because even with a compound, I mean, those grouse are pretty tough. Sometimes yeah. it takes a couple of arrows to get them down. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. I, and it's funny, you know, you run into some and they're dumber than a post. And then some of them are like the I the only grouse I've run into in my area that I've mule deer hunted flushed on me at like 75 yards right during the middle of a stalk, of course, and blew the buck out that I was stalking. All those deer or those grouse, what do we have, three on the we, – we went on a two-day elk hunt until I got streptococcus syphilitis. But they were – none of them were dumb. I mean, they – I mean, they jumped up, flew in a tree, and then you positioned to get a yeah. shot, and they mm-hmm. flew 700 yards in the wrong direction. Yeah, the next – so next year, I'm taking some of those Valkyries. I'm getting like 70 – a field point, like 75 grains heavier and grinding it blunt. Flat. So that, yeah, yeah. So that I'll have something that uh, doesn't stick in the trees. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That was an expensive fly. I don't know how much money and hardware I left up there, but it was quite a bit. Yeah, no kidding. What uh, well, what day did you kill your elk on? So day five. Yeah, and then did you have? Well, you go through it, I guess. But yeah. did you have quite a few encounters, though. Dude, it was insane, man. So again, this is a limited entry unit. This is not over the counter. Um, I was thinking of titling the podcast that I do for the Western Bowhunter podcast, my own podcast, "Too Many Bulls." <laughs> it was crazy. I mean, I don't think that the rest of the the whole rest of the unit is like this necessarily but this area that I was in I think that my from what I saw there was probably a bull to cow ratio of about 1 to 1 or at worst one bull to one and a half cows we never saw um so we were in the bulls every morning every evening and we saw during that time we saw two groups or two bulls with groups of cows that had more than five. Aside from that, we were seeing more herds of bachelor bulls than we were seeing bulls with multiple cows. And we were seeing bulls like with one cow or a bull with two cows. Um, And on paper, this sounds like the most ideal scenario for, you know, blowing a cow call and you're going to get stampeded, right? Well, it seemed like, the bulls that had cows were so paranoid about getting their butts kicked and losing their cows that as soon as you'd get in on one bugle and, and blow a cow call, the thing would shut up. And uh, so we were joking that it was like you'd come into a canyon and there'd literally be three, four, five bulls sounding off just like continuous. And it was like a sausage fest. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was ridiculous. You couldn't get them to respond to a cow. No kidding. Yeah. And I've hunted a couple units like that where the calling is definitely, you have to, what's the word, adapt a bit because the calling is not normally what you would think you probably could or should do because there's just the bull to cow ratio is is skewed. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. I mean, there's some areas where it seems like you, you let's say, and I think I mentioned this to you, you you scream on a bugle like you should to, to challenge a bull. And he's like, mm, no, I'm just going to take what I've got. I don't really want to mess with this. I'm going to move out. <laughs> like, yep. this isn't worth it. Yeah. Yeah. So that first morning we dropped into that canyon um, and we bumped a bull right in the bottom that was on our side right out the gate. The They were bugling on the other side. So we weren't, you know, 
actually we did hear the one on our side bugle once. Um, but at that point we were, we were in pretty close and the wind, uh, I'll tell you, that's the one thing on this hunt, the wind plagued us, man. I, you know, when you get into, um, an area and it's like the wind changes every 30 seconds and it's blowing from each, from every direction, every, it was like that pretty much the whole hunt save, you know, maybe an hour and a half in the morning, you generally have a relatively reliable wind direction but you know the whole rest of the day it just sucked yeah and we blew so many bulls out by getting winded on this trip it was so frustrating and had this been a normal unit where you know the the elk density is you know at a normal level and you're luckily you know lucky to see or hear a bull or two a day we would have probably never been able to fill a tag but it was only because of how many bulls were in here that i was able to be successful um but anyway so we blew out the one bull we crossed through the bottom of the canyon bumped two more as soon as we got to the other you know came out of a strip of timber in the bottom into another meadow there's two more nice bulls that were on on the other side bumped those um and then started back up the other side there had been i think five bulls kind of towards the head of the canyon so that makes eight there total so far and uh they were there was one herd bull that must have been a hot cow in there because he had bulls all around him and they were bugling like crazy and it was a it was a really nice bull probably 320 330 class herd bull and they started moving down canyon up high on the ridge so we went after them we got up onto the ridge um i ended up seeing oh i don't know it was maybe a say a 290 class six point that was um you know, kind of tracking the herd along and, and we called him in to about 60 yards, 50 or maybe 50 yards, something like that. And then uh, he kind of got suspicious and we weren't using the decoy at that point. Um, but I had this Wayne, have you seen that Wayne Carlton decoy? I was telling Frank about it earlier. Yeah. We, the one I, with the molded plastic face. I saw it when I was, when we were at yeah, the Rocky yeah. or at the CBA thing. Yeah. So I bought one while we were there and man, that thing, on on the bull I ended up killing works it worked awesome. But it's we It's almost like you talked about it. when you get tunnel vision. Yeah. They get yeah. the same shit when they see oh, a yeah. decoy. It helps. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> There's no doubt that this guy had love on his mind when he got that arrow. There's no question about that. <laughs> <laughs> Looking for love and all. Yeah. <laughs> So we ended up by uh, those elk ended up out ahead of us down the ridge and with the wind, how squirrely it got, um, we just decided we kind of hung back and we're waiting for it to stabilize and it never did. So we ended up, uh, you know, basically burning the whole day in this canyon, hoping and waiting for a wind that would uh, would stabilize. We ended up getting water down in the bottom. That was the one drawback. We were up on an awesome spot on the top of this ridge. Um, and we were on the kind of the edge of a burn that had happened. Um, but the wind, uh, excuse me, the water was like 400 vertical feet below us. So we tanked up, you know, as much water, all the containers that we had brought with us and, and uh, went back up to uh, to our base camp that night. Next day, um, let's see, we went um, – next day we went on um, a, a bit of a walkabout um, 
and got into another bull first thing in the morning and it looked like it was all coming together. This was one of the bulls that had a decent sized group of cows and we had good wind. We got in, dropped into this basin. We're working our way side hill. There were the the bull and his cows were working up to a little patch of timber and they were kind of on a collision course. And, uh, and then the wind got us on that one. So then we went, uh, further, um, further West and looked into another Canyon, saw two nice bulls in there. And then that found that second, uh, bull that had a good herd of cows. Uh, we decided there wasn't from where we were at, we couldn't find a safe way down into this canyon. It was about 1,500 vertical feet that um, that dropped down into this canyon. And between the, uh, um, you know, the cliffs that kept us out of there and also just the sheer depth of the canyon, we weren't all that enthusiastic about diving in there. So we ended up going back to camp. It was, we got, we were going to go back to camp drop off some stuff and then go do a quick evening hunt um, further to the east of us. And so we were only back in camp for, I don't know, uh, maybe 10, 15 minutes and two hunters, uh, two other guys walked into camp. And this guy was like uh, a <laughs> total character, came into camp, kind of reminded me of Jim Carrey, right? <laughs> so he's got no backpack on. And, and mind you, we're the, these guys had come in day hunting. The one guy, so one guy had no backpack. His buddy had, um, you know, uh, um, that company, Jerry, G-E-R-R-Y. They make uh, baby products like baby oh, yeah, formula yeah, yeah. Yep. and baby back. This guy had a legit blue baby backpack on <laughs> yeah. that the straps were coming out from behind a, um, a camo, you know, cover that went over his pack, but it legit said Jerry on his, uh, <laughs> on his, on his hip belt. The other guy had no backpack on whatsoever, had his binoculars tucked inside his, his like, uh, you know, probably 1990 era real tree camo shirt, had a pair of cotton, uh, BDU six pocket pants and a, and a hand warmer on. And that was it. No, no backpack, no nothing. Right. (laughs) So he comes rolling in like Jim Carrey, got the full on dippity do hairdo on, you know, the swoop with the gel in his hair and stuff. I mean, it was like, it was almost like a, like a, what the heck? I mean, talk about somebody out of place, right? So he comes in, super nice guy, sits down and he's, you know, kind of an eccentric dude, but he's telling us about, he's been in there the whole, you know, season at this point. So like two and a half weeks he'd been in there and uh, he's telling us about all these bulls, the number one bull, number two bull, number three bull. And uh, he's like, well, man, you know, since you guys got this this uh, camp here and stuff, you know, you guys kind of set up. I think I'm going to probably just pull out and, and, uh, you know, head up to this other part of the unit. But he goes, there's, there's a bull, you know, that I was playing around with just down on the flat, just, you know, half mile down or a quarter mile down here from your camp. And if you guys could just leave, you know, leave that area. So this is Tuesday, leave this, that area, not hunt it. You know, I'm just afraid you'll get blown out. And I'm going to come back like, you know, probably Monday. And so if you guys, you know, went in there, say Saturday or something like that, uh, that's all I ask. And it's like, uh, you know, we're like, all right. You know, so he's like, I swear to effing God, I'm not going to, you know, I'm leaving. <laughs> he said this three times. I swear to effing God, I'm leaving. Right. And uh, 
So it's like, okay, all right, all right. So we we coincidentally had planned on going right into that area for our afternoon hunt and hunting there. So he leaves. So I was like, well, maybe we'll just chill here and we we're going to head back up to that deep canyon and hunt that um, and actually dive into it the following day. So we figured, well, we'll just kind of rest up. But Corey was like, dude, let's just go down. Let's go through that area he was talking about because there's a trail that went right through it. We'll go down and there's some more country down there. We'll go down to where it drops off. We'll bugle down in there and see if we get a response. It's better than sitting here. We only had like an hour and a half or two hours left a day. So, all right. So we uh, we went down, walked, you know, quietly through the area he asked us not to hunt. And uh, and then we walk out to the edge of that spot, bugle. And what happens but two bulls back in the area that he asked us not to hunt, bugle. So it's like, okay, well, we were like, we're not going to pass up an opportunity <laughs> if it's like right there, right? So we bonsai back in there. We end up calling in one of those bulls. We got right between them and it's like, okay, which one do we go for, right? And it's it's now like 20 minutes of daylight left. And so the next one that bugled, we went after him and I made the mistake of, you know, we'd bugle or he'd cow, Corey would cow call, he'd bugle. And I knew the bull was coming into us. But with daylight waning, I wasn't sure how fast or if the bull would hang up, and I ended up bumping right into him head on. So it was, uh, you know, I blew that opportunity. He didn't really know what was going on. He left us still bugling, but we decided, well, we'll just back off, and then uh, we'll check it out in the morning. So the next morning, rather than go dive back into that nasty canyon that we were going to, we decided – we have bulls less than a half a mile from camp. This guy's not going to be there anyway. He said he's leaving. So we might as well go hunt it. So we drop back over there and uh, get right back down to the area that the night before we had been into them. Um, and we start dropping in bugle and we didn't go 30 yards and here comes that dude right, <laughs> right toward us. You know, and he's full on legit cartoonish, you know, totally exaggerated, sneaking in on us like this. And he sees us and I'm not kidding you, legitimate turned and bolted running the other way. <laughs> <laughs> that was awkward. Yeah. Super awkward. I was like, oh, great. Right. So this is just going to be wonderful. So we went ahead and continued doing this massive loop through this area that I wanted to check out. We ended up covering, I don't know, probably did about 13 miles that day and about probably three quarters of the way through that. And we had told the guy where we were planning on going that day. Um, and we, who do we bump into? But well, there's a little patch of timber that I saw. And so we're in the middle of this burn now. So there's only like little spot patches of timber that would hold elk where, you know, there'd be area for them to bed. So I told Corey, I said, hey, let's go down to that patch of timber. Let's set up and we'll try and call. So we were within probably 100 yards, that patch of timber. And all of a sudden we hear, F yeah, rather like this, and we're like <laughs> what the hell? And uh, so that dude had dropped in there, and I guess he and his buddy end up killing a bull because we stopped there and we're you know, trying to figure out what the heck was going on. And then we're I heard, yeah, should we drag him down here? I'm thinking to myself, you're <laughs> drag, right? Yeah, yeah, you're not gonna drag a bull, but anyway, so. 
we, so that was kind of a bummer. You know, we we had uh, we had found a, you know got into this spot, put a considerable effort into dropping in there. But I mean, he had his work cut out for him. I got to hand it to him. He he was probably five miles at least from the truck. Had fifteen hundred feet of vertical to go to get out of there. How much? How much? What's the weight bearing capacity on a hand warmer? It's <laughs> yeah, a lot of trips. Exactly. That's a tenderloin, maybe. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. We were we we had no ends of jokes for the rest of the trip talking about those two. But yeah, it was uh, the funny. Th- well, I, I'm. It's probably unfortunate is that you know two guys at that kind of distance they should have been packing that elk for at least a couple of days. And we didn't see any sign of them when we pulled out um, and uh, and left. So, so I mean, they, they took the prime cuts. I th- I can only speculate that that's what had to happen because they were far enough away that and it was late enough in the day. And I know the one dude didn't have a backpack, so that means that they didn't they didn't carry a load of meat out that day. So they should have had two more days of you know packing meat beyond that day. So the day five when I shot my bull, that was you know would have been their second day. Um, we never saw you know any sign of them at the trailhead or anything like that. So, I, I you know it's unfortunate. I mean, elk meat to me is so precious. You and not to mention it's unethical and against the law too that you can't be wasting that stuff. And um, and I got a feeling that you know they probably said they're a bear got on it or something. They made something you know, up. Yeah, right. Freaking Texans. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you speaking of that? Christ on His throne. Fucking Texans are everywhere. I mean, nothing against the state of Texas, <laughs> but there's more people in Colorado from Texas than it hunting than yeah. between. You should so, see rifle season. Good God, man! I, I it was because we've been all the way from the northwest corner to central Colorado to southern Colorado, where you had your antelope tag, and we it became a joke mm-hmm. of. Fucking Texans, because Frank's dad, you said your dad said that, didn't he? All the time. Ever since I was a kid, we'd always go <laughs> rifle hunting, and there would always be way more Texans than there would be people from Colorado natives. And uh, nothing against people from Texas, because we're probably going to get some blowback on this, but they would always act like they own the state, and they would always say, I've been hunting here for years. <laughs> like they own like they own the, the, the national forest. Yeah, that one guy driving up the road point blank in the middle of the road he's got the pullover and then glares at me coming by and i'm like all right slick willie there's only one fucking pullover and it's on your side like there's nothing i can do i can't miracle a, a pullover here and a you know giant ford f-350 with 14 inches of lift but yeah i uh it became an ongoing joke of uh-huh. the texan thing or whatever they just we would see somebody from to- colorado and be like <laughs> Texan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I know he was from Texas before he got his Colorado license plate. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, and we, you know, and I'm sure you run into the same stuff as much as, it, as we do, but the other thing, too, you're almost dodging and weaving, hiding at the trailhead because you oh, don't yeah. want anybody to see you there. Um, luckily, the only people we saw, which they live up north, so we kind of anticipated running into people we knew but yep. um you know this was a guy that owns an archery range up north and he was cool but immediately when he pulled up frank and i were like fuck uh-huh. not because it, not that we're anti well i'm introverted but i mean 
we just were like, dang. And then we came over, he introduced, he told me who he was. And I was like, oh, okay, cool, good. And then we got the hell out of there fast because, you know, there's nothing wrong. I mean, well, David Long is a good example. I, mm-hmm. in my opinion, single-handedly destroyed the maroon bells for right. mule deer. Um, yeah, you don't need to comment on that, but he didn't do it any favors. Um, and uh, he's making a living from it or whatever. But, you know, now someone sees someone in there and then word travels. And even if the spot sucks, it's going to get overloaded with people. It's just how life works. Yeah, I think the couple of years that he hunted there impacted it pretty heavily. And I know that there's a lot of local uh, local people in Nevada that don't like me for what yeah. I did to the Ruby Mountains. <laughs> but, geez, it took me 20 years to destroy it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no kidding. Because they don't have the reach that he does. The uh, well, it was the what did it for him, and I mean, the video on mm-hmm. uh, yeah, just the, showing too much country. Well, they panned out in Fravert Basin almost purposefully. Mm-hmm. I mean, you anybody that had even seen it on, you can't mistake that basin. I yeah. mean, if you're thinking, oh, I should go in there, go ahead. You can be with all the other fifty people that are going there now this year. But yeah, the party, huh? You couldn't, uh, you couldn't mistake it. That one year my buddy went in there and, and it was the same kind of deal he's hunted it 20 years he said there was 37 hunters parked at the trail <laughs> yeah. that sounds like the wasatch oh lord yeah that's just too 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 many but yeah i felt like i was combat hunting when i was up there in uh, nevada this year um 37s uh you know <laughs> that's next level well your 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 buddy uh, uh the utah um he uh from what I've talked to him or whatever, super cool guy. He gets super freaked out when he sees anybody, doesn't yeah. he? Oh, yeah. 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 Uh, Kendall was telling me that when he sees somebody, he'll go nine more miles in like right. just to get away from them, which yeah. is cool. Yeah. No doubt. Yeah. He's a, he's a character. No question about it. <laughs> yeah. I got to call him later today. He was asking about the the arrows. So, but, but anyway, right. back, back to the elk hunt. We'll see more squirrels here. Yeah. So uh, day three now, um, we go ahead and we dive into, we go back up, get up at four o'clock in the morning, uh, leave camp because we've got a, quite a commute to get up there. And and my my poor cameraman, um, well, one of my employees, he's, uh, he came with me to film. And then I had another guy, Nick Moore from Oregon, come out. And Nick, um, I, I saw him in Nevada. He was filming for somebody else, but he was getting elevation. He got altitude sickness at 7,000 hiking in. And I was going, you know, <laughs> you are fucked. Yeah. Well, get this. So he lives at six. Oh, right? Lord. Yeah. And, uh, and so, I mean, it's funny how it'll impact people at different times, not impact him one year, hit him another year, you know, at relatively low elevation. He ended up sticking it out up there on that hunt. And, uh, you know, headache. Uh, he was puking. Oh man! Yeah, so he'd get like really nauseous and puke, and then he'd then he'd be okay after a few minutes. But so uh, he actually got some. I think he got a prescription on this hunt. Um, and I had told my guys that we were going to be hunting between ten and eleven, but then we ended up in another area of the unit, and we were camped at twelve, and we're going up as high as twelve six. Yeah. So. Nobody, <laughs> neither Nick or my employee JV, he got sick as well. Um, it took him a couple of days before he got, you know, started feeling the symptoms, but he was 
third day he was puking and so he uh he stayed behind he ended up going you know heading back we climbed up to 12 four and then he turned around went back to camp and uh so we loaded up his you know the one of the extra big lenses there so then just the three of us went off at that point and we got out to our glassing point and uh you know about dawn and we ended up glassing up by eye, nine bulls in this basin, yeah, and Lord. there was one more that was directly below us in the timber that was bugling. So there was a minimum of ten bulls in this canyon. It's a plethora, hefe. Yeah. <laughs> so there was one that was really nice, and that was again that herd bull that had that group of somewhere around ten cows. So we had to we had to backtrack. Oh, I don't know, half a mile or something before we could find a spot that we could drop into this canyon. And it was about. 15 or 1600 vertical feet down from the top to uh, the bottom there. So we dropped down. Um, we were wanting to get in there as quickly as possible to take advantage of those, you know, first hour and a half or so of, of uh, thermals that were cooperating. So we get down to the bottom there. We ended up, uh, there was a bull that was just screaming his head off, just like every minute or two literally across the canyon from us and i was really tempted to go after him um but Corey's like dude let's let's go after this bull we know how big he is the other one you know one of the that one over there could be a uh um just a you know satellite bull or something incidentally in all the bulls that we saw we probably only saw six or eight raghorn bulls everything else was you know 290 to 320 was kind of the average size and then we saw one bull that was north of 350, um, it was a seven by seven, just a beautiful big bull, big old whale tails on him. I mean, an awesome bull. Um, so make a long story short on that day, we pretty much blew out every bull in that canyon. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> literally, it was a, it was a total goat rope. We got on, we were heading for that big bull. We ended up bumping another bull, um, which then spooked the big bull across to the other side of the canyon. We went ahead and followed him around to the other side of the canyon. Um, I don't know if wind gave us up or we, we snuck in, did a setup on him. And I don't know if he just left or shut up or what, but we never saw him again. Ended up, um, slipping in on another bull, got to about hundred yards of him set up. And it was another really nice, probably 310 to 320 class bull. Um, we called him in to about 50 or 60 yards of me. And then uh, he came in twice actually. And then he split. It was another one of those cases where I think he had a couple of cows and he just didn't want to commit um, to coming in, but it was a really nice bull. Then we went all the way down, you know, the, to the far end of the canyon, um, for a couple other bulls that we had seen, blew those out. I emptied my quiver on that grouse, um, up in the tree, lost a couple blunts there, <laughs> dropped down on the bottom of the canyon and, uh, blew out another bull. And then, uh, finally, uh, by then it's, uh, it's getting on towards five o'clock. There's no more elk left in the canyon that we haven't spooked. <laughs> so we, uh, we had a, like a 1500 vertical foot climb out of the bottom of there, bumped two more bulls out of the bottom that were on the other side that we hadn't seen before. So that's probably 12 bulls then that were in this canyon. And then I uh, went back to camp and I've got a friend that had also drawn the unit, uh, Nick White, and he was kind of more in that central part of the unit that I was telling you guys about. 
So I'd been texting him back and forth. And my main frustration with the area that we were hunting was not so much, you know, our inability to call the bulls, but was the wind direction or the constantly shifting wind direction. So I'd been kind of quizzing him about how his wind you know, how the wind had been, what the bull to cow ratio was there and what he was experiencing. Um, it seemed like the winds were better where he was at. Uh, but, it, and then each bull he said had like say six to eight cows, each, you know, decent sized bull. So the, the bull to cow ratio was a little more in the normal range of what you'd expect. So we were talking about pulling out and heading up there on uh, on day five, we were going to do a quick morning hunt because by the time we got back from dropping in that canyon, we were pretty trashed and, and we got back after dark. So it would have been, you know, a challenge to get everything torn down, packed up, llamas loaded, packed out, move, you know, and all that and in the at night. And then also driving into new country, we kind of wanted to see where we were going to go. I'd never set foot in um in either of these two areas before we you know went on the hunt here so it was all just going in by the seat of my pants and so we uh that night we heard a couple bulls bugling across the canyon again from our camp and our plan was just to hunt there hunt you know drop in and do a quick hunt so the next morning i uh, got up dropped in the canyon, blew out a bull on my side right off the gate there as soon as we hit the bottom, walked across the meadow, blew out two more bulls. So it's like freaking <laughs> great, right? So we've already blown out three bulls in the first, say, 20 minutes of the hunt. Uh, the morning, it's barely past first light. Was, so it, got, was it wind blowing them out or no, calling? Or? We got seen both yeah. times, yeah. yeah. So we've you know just come out of the timber into the meadow. Boom, there's one up there to the left that we hadn't heard. He'd been silent the whole morning. Blew him out. Then we came out of the timber again and blew out two other ones. So we have one bull left that's still sounding off, and he's on the ridge opposite um, opposite camp. So I was like, all right, well, let's go spook him too. Yeah. So, <laughs> so he was a couple hundred feet in vertical of elevation vertical above us. So we circled, got the wind right because the wind's still coming down the canyon at this point. It's it's early. It's you know quarter to seven in the morning by now. So we climb up to him. And I've decided, man, I want to get in as close as I can to this bull. And we're kind of climbing up a series of benches. We get up um, on this bench and there, it goes up, you know, a little climb. And then it rolls kind of gradually onto the top of this knob. And Nick, my cameraman's like, dude, let's sit up here. And, and we were still 150 yards or something from this thing. I'm like, no, man, let's get it closer. So we climbed up to the next one. And at this point, we're maybe 75 yards from the bull. And so I, uh, I tell Corey and JV, it's like, okay, you guys go over here, set up. They're kind of right on the edge of that steep incline that we had just come up. And then I started working my way up to the bull and I got to where about, I was about 40 yards. And I saw antler tines up above um, this little Christmas tree. And so I had my cameraman drop back behind me seven or eight yards and then I gave um, Corey the signal to go ahead and start calling. And he had stuck that decoy in the ground. And from, from uh, my position, I could 
occasionally catch little glimpses of the bowl behind the pine trees. Corey was kind of around the corner from me, so he couldn't see anything. He uh, rips off a couple of cow calls and the bull just goes nuts tearing this Christmas tree up. And uh, so um, when he did that, I took my backpack off, set it on the ground, took a step back into this game trail. And I'm thinking, all right, man, um, if this guy keeps it up, I'm just going to try and stalk him, right? Because he's just going to town on this tree. And you and, said he's 40 yards? Uh, he's about – he's probably 50 from me. Yeah, okay. And, and I, it was uh, it was at the point where my point on is about 40. Um, and uh, I was looking up the hill at him and I'm thinking, you know, is that – okay – have I shot that far? Could I shoot that far? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. So um, I, once he started raking that tree, it's like, if he keeps at it, I'm just going to stalk him. And uh, he stops after about 30 seconds and then takes one step towards me. And then Corey starts raking this, uh, raking this tree with a dead branch. And I'm like, no, thinking in my head, no, right. Cause the thing and taking a step towards me. So I'm thinking, okay, he's going to start coming in. Now he's introduced the fact that there's a bull, another bull in the area. And I'm just thinking, oh, great. This thing's going to fall apart. Right. Well, boom, he comes in on a shoestring and I thought he was going to walk kind of directly towards him, which would have brought him broadside past me. Cause I'm, kind of a, you know, a th forming the third point of a triangle between me, the bull and Corey. And instead that bull comes like on a string directly towards me. And when I had taken that step back onto this game trail that ended up putting this dead, um, oh, probably 10 or 12 foot tall uh, pine tree between directly between the bull and I. So I have the benefit of this tree providing me some camouflage, but at the same time, it's going to prevent me from being able to get a shot. But this thing's coming in head low, frontal on. And as soon as that bull, I can see he's committed, I went ahead and came back to full draw because I knew that if I was going to get an opportunity, it was going to be when that bull was coming in close. And the closer he got to me, the less likely I was going to be able to be, you know, able to draw my bow and get away with it. So that bull's coming head on towards me. I don't have a shot, not only because of the frontal, directly frontal angle with his head low, but then also because of the snag in front of me. So he keeps coming, keeps coming, keeps coming. He gets to, you know, eight or 10 yards from me. And at this, man, I tell you, I was, I thought with the direction of travel, he was going to walk right over the top of me. And then finally he veers slightly towards that uh, that decoy on his way down he had looked over seen the decoy so he was like he knew you know right where he was going but he was kind of taking a little bit of a um an arc approach towards him so then finally he starts to turn and he's now six or seven yards and i'm tracking him with my bow swinging on him slowly as he's coming and i'm just like as soon as he steps clear of that that tree <laughs> i'm letting him have it man because there's i just knew at any second he was going to see me and that the whole thing was going to fall apart so he takes as, as it's funny the things that go through your head you know in, in moments like that i mean i started looking at like 
damn, that thing is big. And then I was <laughs> tripping about how muscular his front shoulder was and seeing the muscles ripple through his shoulder. I remember thinking all this. As he steps clear of that thing, I just cut my shot. I didn't, I don't think I hit my clicker. I mean, I'd been at full draw the whole time there, but I don't think I was ever, you know, I had to hit my clicker. I hit him like three inches above the point of the elbow, tight to the shoulder there going in. And then because of the quartering in angle, it ended up exiting, I think it was two ribs back from the, the last rib um, and about midship in height so on the entrance. Caught the, you caught the tail end of the offside lung, I would think. Yeah. As it worked out, um, I I was fearful that I only caught the near lung and then liver, but I ended up getting, you know, the near lung, the, the back lobe of the far lung and liver. Um, the bull bolts runs up over the little knoll. And then I start, I was like, holy crap, can you believe that? I was flipping out, jumping up and down, <laughs> set my bow on the ground, took my boonie hat off, put it on top of my bow. And then we hear crack, 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 crack like this. And I turn and look and coming from behind Corey, here comes this bull, comes in, walks within 10 yards, or excuse me, 10 feet of Corey, set up with a decoy there, walks <laughs> directly between Corey and myself. So then my cameraman's between me and the bull. I'm looking at this bull going damn, that thing, I'm, I'm thinking to myself, man, I hope my bull is that big. The thing's quartering <laughs> into me and uh, I'm looking at the bull and I look down below the bull and between the legs of the bull, Corey's got this ear to ear grin, give me the double <laughs> thumbs up, right? Oh, that's cool. <laughs> it was funnier than heck. So Nick, my camera guy, takes, he's filming me and then he looks kind of behind him, sees the bull come in. He takes his monopod with his DSLR, spins it 180 degrees, and he's filming back over his shoulder at the bull. My other cameraman, JV, unbeknownst to me, the of all, th all, all times to have this happen, the lens on his camera malfunctioned and would not focus, manual or autofocus. It wouldn't focus. Oh, so it Lord. was soft focused. So I'm sitting here looking at this bull and uh, I'd lean down and pick my bow up, but my, my uh, string from my boonie hat had wrapped around my arrow clip. So I couldn't, my first instinct was to grab an arrow, but then I was like, oh, duh, you already shot a bull. So I'm sitting here watching this thing and he's kind of like, <gasps> like this. And he's, and the bull's, when when Nick spun the camera around, he picked the movement up. So then he's looking at us and then he's like, kind of half turning his head and rolling his eye, trying to spot the cow that he knows is there. Yeah. And then uh, after about, I don't know, 20 or 30 seconds, he turns and then starts to walk um, oh, kind of away. And then I see a blood spot behind his shoulder <laughs> and realize that I had shot the bull. Unbeknownst to me, Corey's giving me the thumbs up because the arrow's hanging out the offside you his know, side. Yeah, his yeah, side. Yeah. So he's seeing the broadhead <laughs> and, you know, this thing. Uh, so he knows it's my bull before I do. The bull then um, goes about 10 yards and stops behind this huge pine tree, you know, so it's completely covering his vitals. And all I can see is his butt and his guts. So I had, by this time, knocked an arrow and he, and I had about a two or three foot window to shoot when, when he steps 
you know, through that opening. So he stood there for, I don't know, another 20 seconds or something. And then he goes ahead and walks through that opening or kind of goes through it quick. And I snapshot and shot right underneath him as he went through that opening. Um, and then, you know, we hear him take off and crash down through the trees and stuff. And so how long did all that take from the, after the, your arrow went through to the um, point, point he ran off on your second shot? Probably a minute. Yeah. Which probably felt like a life. Oh, it did. I mean, <laughs> Corey thought the thing was going to die right in front of us. Yeah. And, uh, and in hindsight, I mean, with two holes through the lungs, you would think it would, but, uh, and a hole through the liver, but apparently that bull had a lot of adrenaline pumping, um, so he bolts off down the hill. He ended up going about maybe 150 yards, 100 to 150 yards. So we decide um, – I was concerned that I only got one lung. So it's like, hey, let's you know back off. We went back and got the llamas in camp, unloaded all our extra crap out of our packs, came back. The blood trail was pretty challenging because of the relative high location of the hit. He wasn't bleeding much on the ground. So it took us a good hour, hour and 15 minutes to unwind the blood trail and go down there. And so I'm looking on the ground and we're all looking on the ground. And, and, uh, Corey's like, Hey, I see some blood, you know, and he's doing the, the finger wind up kind of signal. And I, and I'm didn't, did, wasn't computing what he was doing, but he was motioning to the cameraman and, uh, you know, to get the film rolling and, and I didn't catch it at all. And I'm like, oh, where, where? And he points down the hill and I see the antler of my bull sticking up and it's like, oh man, you talk about, cause I was nervous as hell and anxiety and that whole thing, you know, when you make a hit and you, in your head, you know, you made a fatal hit. But then, because we had blood, we had given him a little bit of of uh, maybe thirty yards that we had walked the blood trail, and then we weren't seeing much. So I just said, "Let's get out of here." And uh, so I was nervous as hell, and and uh, but he ended up being a, I don't know, probably three hundred inch bull, something like that. And it's a three ten. Is Randy Cooling asked me what I thought it scored, and I is a guess for right. three ten, but I don't know. Yeah, we haven't put a tape on him, but I. Uh, we ended up getting 349 pounds of boned out meat off this thing, man. I could not believe it. I I was figuring we'd get 240 or something yeah, I mean, that's, like that. That's 1,000 pound elk. Yeah, yeah, it was massive body. And the, the neck on that thing was, I mean, you'd have a hard time putting your arms around it. It was yeah. ginormous. But uh, we have what an experience. I and mean, it, uh, it was awesome. And man, I'll tell you, if I felt like I was – had a um, an army with me when we were trying to you know get on stuff and all the noise we were making. I sure was grateful for him when it came to the pack job. <laughs> oh yeah, for sure. What uh, I saw the video of you packing with the packing the head out. Did you? Because you took the cape too, didn't you? No, I left the cape. Okay, I couldn't yep. tell. Are you just going to euro mount that? Yeah. Do you do uh, much shoulder mounts anymore? No, I don't have any room, man. That's what I was wondering. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm all out of room, so I'm doing euro everything from here on out. Yeah. Um, but I had a load of meat and the, I had like 85 pounds on that load there. So when we, we had, to, we brought the llamas down the bottom, bottom of the canyon, but there's too many blowdowns going up the other side. So we, we hauled the whole thing down to the bottom of the canyon in one load. And I know my pack was 119 and I know that Corey's was heavier and I think JV's was heavier, but I don't know what they weighed. Yeah. That'll make a man out of you. 
Oh, yeah, I'll tell you what, it'll definitely shorten a person. <laughs> I don't need to be any shorter than I already am. No, for sure. That's cool, though, because you don't really generally hunt elk too much, but an elk hunt like that will make you want to hunt elk. Oh, man. Yeah, in a way it does. I'll tell you what. Um, I mean, that you the amount of meat that I've got in my freezer now is unbelievable. The amount of work. If if we would have killed a bull in that basin the day before and that canyon the day before, we'd have probably still been out there packing meat. I mean, it was so stinking steep getting out of there um, that, you know, definitely, and we were a long ways back in. We were, at that point, we were probably, you know, eight, seven, eight miles back in. Yeah. Not including the drop into the canyon, you know, just to the lip of it. So, yeah, it would have, and we would have had to go around a longer way in order to get the pack animals down there in the bottom. So, yeah, it would have... I hate to think of, you know, I'm one of those that usually dives in first and thinks of the consequences after. Yeah. And that was one that got me thinking, you know, as we were just hiking out of the bottom, it was like, <laughs> man, I'm glad I didn't shoot the one of those down in there. Yeah, no, for, for sure. Is there uh, anything, because I know we'll get asked this, like uh, gear-wise for this year and uh, like, you know, any highlights and low lows and highs for gear and then any epic mistakes or epic like uh anything happened that's news and noteworthy i guess that made you even think after years of doing it where you're like shit that was stupid or wow that was really bright (laughs) yeah so let's see from a gear standpoint uh, again getting back to that kelvin jacket man i can't i can't say enough good things about that thing i mean it kept me I, i was so happy i had that and i i ordered that jacket uh, almost as an afterthought and and then uh man i absolutely love that um i would have i should have brought more gloves with me um i had one set of one pair of merino gloves lost one on my mule deer hunt and so um and i didn't so i didn't have a replacement pair with me let alone back home and i uh, so i was a little bit light on gloves i had some heavier duty ones but um I really like those merino ones. They they do provide some warmth and and uh, even on cold mornings and and also just even on hot days you can still wear them from a camouflage standpoint. Um I I use that. I've been using that um what is it the uh platypus um their uh, gravity filter. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've been using that the last few years. Just love that thing um, from a, you know, non-pumping standpoint. And uh, one of the guys that I was with, he had bought himself a Steripen and it failed on him on his hunt in Nevada. Which Steripen? Uh, you know, I didn't ask him, um, but he said he tested it at home. So it was a brand new Steripen, tested it at home at work, got out there, and and something had the, failed in there's it. There's one. Which one do you have? I have the Ultra. The Adventurer. That's the, the piece little of one. Sh- it's a piece of shit. Yeah. Every yeah. person I know that has. It gives Steripen a bad name. They need uh-huh. to fucking get rid of it. It fogs up, and so then it just won't ever turn on. Yeah. It, it gets red every time. Brian brought one the same thing, and... He's like, this thing's horrible. I was like, well, I told you not to buy that one, but that one there, it's going to leave you high and dry if that's the one he had. Yeah, but. It, I mean, it, from the standpoint of the mentality of a backpack hunter, you're going to buy the smaller one. Yeah. And so that's probably the one that he bought. Yeah. Yeah, unfortunately. Um, Both of our pumps 
fuck clogged clogged <laughs> i was pumping out of a freaking <laughs> pond with algae i was three liters in and i'm like it's not going anymore <laughs> i left the brush at the trucks i didn't want to bring it didn't weigh anything i didn't want to bring the extra right. weight leave the brush at the truck it clogged up so yeah, i had to sacrifice my toothbrush oh no i'm like what well, i still had floss but i'm like gosh yeah that's a long uh, long week with no teeth brushing yeah yeah so let's see um the first hunt that I did in Nevada, I used a 40-degree bag, which I would have thought was warm enough, but I froze my butt off. And I, have, <laughs> I had to wear my long johns, you know, in, and I, in fact, I think I wore my long johns and my puffy um, on some of the nights. Yeah, you so, know you're cold when you got to do that. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, Nevada is not a hunt that you would think you'd need it on. And it wasn't especially cold up there that time of year either. Uh Again, that um, Helinox caught, absolutely love that thing. But if you're not using pack animals, probably not the most practical thing to be bringing in. And if you do, you do want to strap that your sleeping pad down. Had a um, a hole in my um, Sea to Summit pad that I went and I, um, I inflated it and brought it down to a pond, found the hole, patched the hole, and then was bring you know kind of draping the thing over my arm so that it would dry before I went to bed as I was walking back over some rocks stepped on it <laughs> pop, popped it again <laughs> and then I was too lazy to go down and and uh, find the hole again so I just ended up every night rolling off my my pad once a night and you know giving it a couple of puffs of air and then back on top of it again so um let's see uh Man, I you know I think I did probably the best I've ever done from a food variety standpoint. I, I didn't get burnout too bad. I just made I, I really spent the time when I was shopping this year to really diversify and get a lot of different stuff to eat, and I think that really made a big difference because um, most of the time you know you just you're sick and tired of looking in your food bag and and you know you're scrapping through there. You find one thing that you go to. You know, every day it's the first thing you eat out of there, and then the rest of it, it's like you having to choke it down. I had those cookies; they're awesome, right? They're the ones that I get over at Vitamin Cottage, oh, yeah. one of the espresso explosion. So I brought, I bought ten, and we had them up there for preseason scouting. You know, uh -huh. or anyway, the moral I did, I ate fucking four of them in the first day. <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't have any the rest of the hunt, and then Frank and I met up later. And I had chips still. I had those, uh, were they almond flour? Almond flour crackers. Dude, they're like bomb.com. And Frank's like, I remember those. <laughs> we <laughs> split, memory. divvied up food or whatever. But that is, I mean, you can do it, but it does suck eating the same thing mm -hmm. over and over and over. And if you're already on the edge of walking home because you can't handle it anymore, eating the same crap yep. every day is certainly going to help you push you over that edge. Yeah, one yeah, be one more thing that that uh, you know one of the things that I found this year when I was trying different bars that I really liked are um, those Lara bars, um, and this one was their peanut butter cookie, as I recall, and yeah. it's all it is is peanuts dates and sea salt i gotta eat four of them little bastards for a meal but yeah <laughs> right. you're right peanut butter cookie and peanut butter cookie it's the cookie dough and chocolate chip cookie dough Ch yeah there's three of them that yeah. are good and uh man i tell you one of my buddies who's a little bit short for his weight so he takes that justin's peanut butter uh -huh. 
and he takes three of those fuckers and then he squeezes it between each layer of the Justin's peanut butter, but it's probably 800 calories. Yeah, but yep. the Laura bars are actually pretty good for you too. Yeah, yeah. So. There is not, there's not a whole, you know, myriad of ingredients in there that you can't pronounce the names they're of the cheap too. Yeah, they're, yeah. They're they're reasonable. Yeah, well, cheap is relative. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Reasonable, <laughs> reasonable compared to other bars. Right. Yeah. Uh, Corey Beckendorf was uh, eating those Justin peanut butter straight. And when I had killed my elk uh, down there, at first I thought I had forgot my lunch bag back there, but it was in the bottom of my pack and I just hadn't located it. So he gave me one of those uh, Justin peanut butters. And I just, he was eating them straight. Yeah. And um, it had been a long time. I love peanut butter, but it had been a long time since I'd taken a spoonful of peanut butter and stuck it in my mouth. Yeah. And man, you talk about sticking the, your tongue to the roof <laughs> of your mouth. Holy cow. Yeah. I do. I eat those straight, the vanilla, Justin's vanilla. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. But we have it at the house. I eat it like ice cream. I got a problem like with uh, peanut butter. It's it's an, it's an issue. But. Yeah. It, pretty much anything peanut butter, like from the Ritz peanut butter crackers to, you know, any kind of peanut butter bar or anything like that. I I have a hard time going wrong with them. Yeah. And I'll do um I was bringing in uh blueberry bagels and uh and then the Justin's peanut butter and then I had gone to uh Chick-fil-A and raided their condiment rack and they had um strawberry jam in the little individual serving packets <laughs> and then honey. So I'd take yeah. one packet of jam, one packet of honey and put it on there and that was a pretty good combo. I didn't I ate those every day and I didn't get tired of those. I, anything with peanut butter, I don't think I can get tired of. Yeah. It's it's difficult for, for me to get tired of peanut butter at all. But dinners get old. I think Amy's all for it. She's ready to buy the food, dehy- the freeze dryer. Freeze, freeze dryer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's the cook of the bunch because, I mean, those humble foods are good. I mean, definitely. But he hasn't come out with them yet. The off-grid, that bison chili was good. with, But... It's just expensive. Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously, they give us a bunch of stuff too, but um, it would be nice, especially with the way Amy cooks, to to freeze dry. Yeah, stuff. I think the, the consistency gets old. Like it's almost like it's soup every night. Well, and I, I, hate, I'm I like, like craving I hate like a soup. I hate soup. <laughs> I'm like craving like a good hearty meal. Right. Like even the the humble foods is good, but they're cut into little little I just pieces. Want a damn sandwich. Uh, yeah. Something. Yeah. You want know, something? <laughs> some heart. Some like potatoes and meat. Something you can sink your teeth into. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. When it goes in the same way it comes out, it's less appetizing. <laughs> I don't know what happened this year, but you were the same way every morning. It was like colossal, like Facebook upload worthy. I don't know what it was, just the caloric intake or whatever. But I was. I was running out of areas to go. Like I was running out of rocks to cover up my yeah. view with. I was like, good Lord, I'm, this place is no one's going to camp here anymore. But what, uh, just because I had a ton of people ask this. I don't know how many times Frank did, but you know what, like, which I don't, this may oversimplify it, but like, especially since it took me a second trip, but what what helps keep you motivated, but I don't think there's a special sauce to it either. You want to kill an animal or you don't. And if you want to bad enough, your ass is going to stay on the mountain, even if you're divvying up food or whatever. I mean, I don't know that there's, I don't think bringing an iPhone is, or not an iPhone, but, a, uh, you know, something to listen to music or I don't, there's not any special sauce to keep your ass on the mountain. Yeah. Um, you know, I think that perseverance um, and mental toughness is highly underrated um, or a person's, you know, perseverance. 
Um, I, I think a lot of people spend too much time just focused on gear and think that that's going to be the big difference. Or working um, out. Right. Or working <laughs> out. I mean, all those things do help. No question about it. I mean, you have more confidence in your gear. You're going to stay up there longer than if you are really questioning your gear. If you are physically fit, you are going to feel better. So you're going to be less likely to pull off the mountain. Um, if you have food that you like, that you enjoy eating, or at least that you're not, you know, having to force down, you're going to, you're going to, it's going to be easier to stay up there. Um, if you have confidence in your hunting area, if you have confidence in your shooting ability, if you have confidence in, um, it, you know, confidence is a lot of what it boils down to. And, uh, um, you know, I think that if you're up there and you're getting rained on, you have a leaky tent or you, your bag gets wet or something to that effect, then and you're already down because you're not having um, you're, you're not getting into animals. There's a lot of things that can start to erode that foundation of of your confidence or your stick or whatever you want to call it. And uh, and then, you know, it's going to lead to potentially lead to premature um, you know, evacuation. <laughs> there you go. I was just going to say that. <laughs> that. That's a t-shirt right there. Premature evacuation. Yeah. You don't want that. <laughs> you don't want that at all. The, uh, well, you're right though. I mean, I just, I, I mean, we've talked about this before. There's definitely too much. I mean, this is coming from guys that sell gear, but there's no other, you can't buy baskets. You can't buy touchdowns no matter but man, you can buy animals and you can buy gear. I mean, you can pay mm -hmm. enough for a hunt where you're pretty much guaranteed you're going to shoot an animal, and you can buy gear. And 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 uh, what you can't buy is hard work and determination and and work ethic or whatever. I mean, those things are. I mean, at least I, I don't think you can buy it yet. There's probably an app for that now. But right. um, yeah, and I mean, it's not like I'm sure there's times where you've been down in the dumps. And in, in fact, if I wouldn't have found that deer that I shot the last day, that would have. Mm -hmm. That would have been tough um, for me. And I, t I told uh, Amy and you and, and Randy, it was my karma for making fun of you on that first video. Um, <laughs> it was the same thing. I mean, I what, yeah. I shot five times. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Five times, three three that I should have killed. Or yeah. three that were well within my effective rate. Shit happens, you well, know? I the, mean. The irony of that one is, I swear to God, this happened on this trip here, on that second trip where I went with Tim. Um I was talk so I'd listened to this podcast I don't know in the last year and there was a guy on there trad guy who well respected in the trad community who is an avid mule deer hunter and the the host had asked him and I don't remember the exact number but he had asked him you know on the average of how many stocks do you go on per successful stock and the guy had said I I can't I think he said it was like 50 Let's just say, right? And I was just, uh, and I had the same reaction you just did. You just like <laughs> shook your head and blinked your eyes, right? So I'm thinking to myself, man, okay, I'm looking, I'm thinking back over the seasons and it's like, man, I've been averaging like three or four yeah. stocks, you know, per, Success. per notching my tag, right? And I didn't say anything. I didn't <laughs> say anything. But then, and so I kept my mouth shut. Because I didn't want – also, I didn't want to be perceived as being arrogant or whatever or cocky. And I'm super superstitious in, about certain things. And 
I made the mistake of opening my mouth and I told Tim this and I'll be damned if I didn't go on like five stops <laughs> and, and I had a coyote blow out my first, the first stock I made on, you know, I mean, all these dumb little things were going on and um, I was having a hard time getting stocks. And, and I told Tim, I said, man, I am so sorry to this guy that, you know, that I opened my mouth. I said this, I judged him. And I said, I, I feel like I need to apologize <laughs> verbally out loud because I totally have jinxed myself. Well, that, that's exactly what I had told. Did I tell you that too? Mm -hmm. I, where I said, I said, it's for me making fun of South. Um, Cause I watched it and I think I took, well, I know I told you the first time I watched that I'd never shot a stick bow. Yeah. And I'm like, what in the hell is this guy doing? And I knew who you were. I mean, I knew you, right, but right. I was like, Jesus, South. And then I picked up a stick bow and I was like, oh, uh -huh. that makes more sense. And then I, you know, started shooting. And, and uh, how many times did you shoot and miss that first video, that Perseverance one? I know it was four at least. By It may have been five. Yeah. So about where I was at where, I mean, there was three that I should have hit yeah. or or. or realistic opportunities mm -hmm. a couple weren't but even still at that point i'm like good lord and i'm thinking to myself i just really want one to lay down can i just get <laughs> one in a bed like because i had a coyote blowout one too and and, mm -hmm. and you know the one stood up on the and i'm like going through my mind over and over like i don't you know i'm replaying it you know like what's it what's the word like dissecting it and i'm right. like I don't know what I can do. I'm making great stocks, right? Mm -hmm. I'm not having an issue with that. And I'm not making bad shots. I'm just, they're difficult or whatever else. And guys were like, man, and you got any key to going after it? And I'm like, well, one's a fucking embarrassment. And yeah, I got to, you know, like, <laughs> got to go home and not have an animal on the ground. It's kind of embarrassing when you have opportunities right. and your skill can't do it. But yeah, it is what it is. Yeah. There's, with a stick, I mean, with hunting, period, there's no guarantees. And that's what I love about it. Um, but when you st start to be consistently successful, then like my mule deer. So I started hunting mule deer in Colorado in this one area in 2011. So was this eight years now I've hunted, I've shot seven bucks in eight years. And uh, that's, I mean, that's knock on wood because I'm just opening my mouth and jinxing myself <laughs> right now, right? Yeah. But that's better than what most rifle hunters will experience. I, have you listened to our podcast on our mule deer hunt yet? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Even my mom calls Amy. <laughs> she's like, what's going on? Is something wrong? And she's like, he's just having a hard time, Kathy. Well, what's – because I've had good success. Yeah, but. Yep. Shit happens. I yeah, mean, it does. I told my mom, like, mom, they don't just fall the fuck over because right. I walk in the woods. Like, I've just had that mule deer with you. We had 30 mile an hour winds and the one on the cliff in the cave. Uh, no, two years ago. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. I shot it at three or four feet. And yeah. I mean, things just came into, and, and I told my mom, I'm like, mom, it's not, I was like, I'm shooting a stick. Yeah. I'm like, it's not. There's no it, gimmies. Oh, no. And with the compound, I will say it, it probably would have been done opening day. But that's part of it too, is I definitely will, I mean, this, it'll go down in history as the toughest hunt I've ever had. And not tough because, I mean, it was physically tough and everything else. It was just one of those things where I'm like, if I drop down this hole one more time and I don't kill something, I'm going to shoot myself in the foot. Mm -hmm. Fuck. <laughs> so just, yeah. and, and, and then 
I, you know, seven different. I got to say, one of the hunters fell off a cliff and and broke his Swarovskis in half. Holy cow! And that's the guy Omni ran into, uh, <laughs> yeah. camped right where the deer are. Then Omni tries to plead with him, and the guy's like, "Well, I don't see any deer tracks." And I'm like, <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> Omni's like, "Look, the deer cross here, like in that saddle," and and the guy didn't. He stayed right there, right where oh, the deer are. And then that other jack wagon had his camp hidden there, you know. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, so I didn't go to that side too much. And then the other dude that was by us, he didn't screw anything up that, that works by us. He was camped by us. Or he just, it was his first backpack hunt. Mm-hmm. Um, but with with all those things, what did I tell you? I was like, dude, we're going to have to go back or I'm going to, I'll never, what did I say? It'll haunt me the rest of my life. Yeah. If, yeah. The way my brain works, if I... Like antelope's killing me right now, but if the way my brain works is it's, it, it's it's I don't know defeat basically. Like you just yeah. got your ass kicked. And it was funny though because I had told Amy because I'm very so I guess I should apologize to you. I said, man, if I miss five times in one hunt, I'd stab myself in the eye. <laughs> and sure as fucking shit, I missed five times. And Amy brought that up, and she uh, she asked, she's like, are you making bad shots? Because Danny asked too, and I uh, said, look. They're good. I'm not because I'm very open. If I, yep. I'm like, I'm just not getting the greatest of opportunities. And when I shot the one in the leg, I would have bet pretty much anything in my possession that would have been dead. That was perfect wheelhouse, broadside, slightly cornering away, looking at the coyote. Uh-huh. So they're looking to the right, and I'm like, he's got no idea yep. I'm here. He's well, he knew something was going on because when he heard that arrow coming, he took off, and I hit him in the leg, and I'm like. Okay, two for two. This is not good. Yeah. <laughs> and it wasn't two for two shots. It was two for two misses. I'm like, good God, I'm going to cry. And then you had the walk of shame, right? Yep. Back up the hill. Yep. Well, it was me all by yourself thinking about everything you did wrong. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I'll tell you, it's um, it's one of those things, though, that when it all comes together, there's not a sweeter feeling. And by contrast... When you leave, um, like particularly if you do the premature evacuation, um, I can remember in 2004, I left a hunt. I had had a bunch of turmoil going on back in my business. One of my guys had quit and it was one of my – only he and I knew how to do – we're building stairs and and, uh, and I had left on a hunt and he had quit and we had a job that was supposed to get done. By the way, stairs are a pain in the ass. The rise and run will fuck up everyone. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) That they are. There's not a lot of people that can get it right. Um, So I – I was having a tough hunt and it was like sick day six of a 10-day hunt here in Colorado. And uh, so, I, you know, I knew at the time that my customer would understand if they if the job was four days late getting done. But I talked myself into leaving based on, you know, what was going on at home and the the challenges I was having on the mountain and I uh, more I remember that more than I remember all the deer that I've killed since then yeah I can and, buy that and that kind of thing that kind of experience I don't want to do that again yeah and I would rather run till the 12th hour on an 11 hour hunt than leave on the 10 and a half you know hour point so yeah 
um, <clears throat> that experience alone has made it a lot easier for me to stay on the mountain. And then, you know, it's like, I, there's a finite amount, you know, you got 365 days in a year. I'm going to be 50 years old next year. If I get to hunt 20, 25 days a year, I'm, I'm pretty lucky. And so there's a, there's a, a limited amount of time that I get to spend in the field. And if I'm able to do it on my terms and, you know, the things that make me tick are I love the alpine country above timberline. I just love those expansive views. I love the feeling of doing it myself, you know, as much as I can. The more I'm directly involved in the outcome of the hunt, um, then the more I appreciate it. That's why I like doing it myself versus hiring an outfitter. And I'm no, no, I've hunted with outfitters. I got nothing against it, but I just get more personal intrinsic satisfaction out of doing it that way. And I like to be, I like to have my skills tested as much as possible. And by hunting with a stick bow that, that, you know, aside from dropping down hunting with a spear, then I, uh, you know, that's the greatest challenge that I've I've been able to to find so far. I'm going to get, I'm sure, bashed from the stick bow community or whatever for this, but, or compound, somebody's going to give me shit. But it it's true that, I mean, Frank and I talked about it. I would have shot the 165-inch 4x4 on the first day. Very rarely am I going to miss a 32, 34-yard shot with a sure. compound. One, because I could have drawn the fucking bow back and waited for it to walk out and shot it. But I would have been done opening day. I wouldn't have had all that. But it's not the same feeling, although I wish I could have subtracted some of the pain and suffering. But when we, it was cool to go back in, minus Frank was about to die. Um, I mean, how much pain were you in? Because you don't have a bitch. I don't, it, a lot of times it was pretty bad, yeah. I, I mean, I could tell he was bad. And Mike, it, I'm just going to wait here for a second. <laughs> Are you good? Yeah, I'm, I'm fine. <laughs> well, when I went, when the storm passed and I got all my stuff, because he's usually out same as me, right? And the storm passed, I creeped me and poked my head out and I'm like, that buck's going to move. Sun's going to hit him. He's going to, he's going to have to move. I got to find where he's at in these cliffs. And I grabbed my stuff. I'm like, Frank, you going to come out in glass? And I, I remember you say, sir, I believe I will lay here for quite a while longer or something <laughs> like that. And I don't know how much, you probably laid there for another hour. Didn't yeah. you? And uh, we spotted the buck and whatever, went over there and, and killed it. And I remember I, did I call you or Delorme you? Delorme. Yeah. You. Oh yeah. Cause the autocorrect. He said it looked all ducked up uh. when it ran off, and I, but you lost it in the willows. And I, I had messaged, did you get that message? I said, I'm pretty sure it's dead. Mm-hmm. And uh, man, same with you like your elk, right? I hit those. I didn't see a blood trail coming out, yeah. at, going in the willows. And and I went through and I'm like, if, I'm going to shoot my, I'm going to jump off this fucking cliff if this deer's not dead at this point because it... I thought I pinwheeled it, and I did. But you see what you want yep. to a lot yep. too. So absolutely, yeah. No, it's it's been uh, it's been. A, I mean, we focused on mule deer, and that was the one thing I hadn't shot a high country mule deer with a recurve. That's what I wanted to do. That in an antelope, which the antelope <laughs> pan that did not pan out. But um, it was cool. I mean, and the thing again, I would have not have got the same feeling out of shooting one the first day or two with a compound. I did not want to go to day twelve, but. It will. It'll be something I remember the rest of my life for sure. Yeah, um, yeah. There's no doubt about. It. I mean, I 
I had some awesome memories this, well, pretty much every year. There's a couple of years when I've shot stuff on the first or second day when it's kind of anticlimactic and, and I don't feel like I suffered enough, you yeah. know, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, most of the time uh, having a stick bow in your hand will pretty much guarantee you that you're going to suffer at least some. Yeah, no, for, for sure. I, uh, that, and it was cool too. I mean, as much as you don't want hunting company, it was cool meeting, uh, mom nine, Wesley and Steve and, mm-hmm. uh, hanging out with those guys. They were, they were cool. And I mean, you, cause I was initially before season, you had said, Frank had said, well, man, if it doesn't pan out over there, there's too much pressure. You know, I'll have spots over here. You can probably come if I tag out. And then on day five, I, it was not going well for Frank and it wasn't cause Frank was blowing stocks. Frank's just like, man, there's just not that much deer here. And so I'm like, well, I guess I'm stuck with the three <laughs> stooges, you know, yeah. just kidding. I'm not, but, uh, so, I mean, you make the best out of what you got. The thing was, is, uh, luckily for us, those, those deer kept coming back, even mm-hmm. when we blew them out. A lot of times that, that does not happen. So had you hunted Frank, that other area, um, before, where you were at this year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I did it the last couple of years. So you were seeing fewer deer than the past couple of years? fewer deer compared to when we were scouting. When we were scouting, I was seeing a bunch of deer, and one season rolled around, and I'm not sure what exactly happened, but they were pretty scarce. I wonder if it was just that it dried out more. I think know? so, because like I was telling him, I, I didn't take the pump all year for scouting, and the last scouting trip, my my spring was <laughs> down to a trickle and I'm like, dude, I'm going to need the pump for this. I'm going to have to pump it out of this pond at just an accumulation of water. Yeah. So I think that just the the lack of water and how dry it ended yeah. up getting, they were moving lower. Well, I hope we got a good winter this year without, you know, minus winter kill. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's uh, it was pretty stinking low snowpack last year. Yeah, it was. Uh, well, we were there in early June. And we hardly had any made it snow. up there. Yeah. I yeah. mean, only went through a few drifts, and yeah, a few other questions people have asked while you're on here. What do you do about lightning? Um, well, you suck it up. I, I don't know what else to tell people. There, I don't have a special. I just lay in the tent. Sometimes I'll pray. Uh, sometimes I'll play on my phone. But it's not like. If the storm's on me, I'm not going to pack up in the middle of a storm. I highly doubt I'm going to throw on rain gear and throw into the run into the wood line. Now, I will say there's a couple times where that lightning is coming right at me that I have shifted my position a bit. But the lightning, when it comes through, it doesn't strike in a dead line over and over and over. It's bouncing sometimes up to a mile wide. So I just lay there and hope for the best. But Yeah, I, it's kind of funny because – I've never had a fear of it and I love a good lightning storm. I mean, I think they're, I love them. I think they're badass, but everybody's paranoia about lightning that I've been hearing on all these podcasts has got me nervous about it now. I've never given it a second thought. I mean, I'll ride out all these storms. We have a buddy that got struck. Him and his hunting partner got struck two years ago. We make jokes because Lance is a, looks like a Greek God, right? Uh He's a SF dude. And that the lightning bounced off him, but it didn't. It went through him and came out the other side. I mean, he got hit and it knocked his buddy, who's they another both got SF knocked dude, out. knocked out. Holy he, cow. Yeah. And uh, so what was their, do you know anything about their position? Were they above Timberline? Was, well, I you, know right where they were at. They were stealing my food out of my fucking camp bag. <laughs> I hit in. That's what God was paying you back. Uh, but uh, that was they in, were a in a basin then, right? Yeah, yeah, they were in a bowl. They weren't no even kidding. up high. Yeah, in timber. So that's the thing. I'm kind of like you. Frank's the same way. You just, 
goes over and you hope you don't get hit. And I'll get the camera out if it's not raining, try and get cool photos. But that we came in two days before season and and I thought for sure you were going to get hit or at least by because I was watching it and it skirted around me and went straight over Frank. And did I text you or did you text me? I think you texted me and said, are you still alive? (laughs) (laughs) It was was a good one. But there's not a whole lot you can do. I mean, the only thing that I – this doesn't have to do with lightning but storms. I have a hard time pulling out rain gear, like especially bottoms for whatever reason. I've gotten better as I've gotten older and wiser. And wetter. And wetter. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's (laughs) – drying out boots sucks, balls. So I've gotten better at that. I'd say that's one thing that I I really have to like make myself stop and throw on rain gear when a storm comes in Um, because just soaking wet clothing is is horrible. But, I mean, other than that, I mean, I don't – you know, you don't need a whole lot to do a backpack hunt. You know, people get pretty geeked up on on gear and, and clothing-wise, you really can get by. I mean, up top, you've got a base layer, a fleece layer, a puffy jacket and rain gear. Down yeah. low, I bring an extra set of socks. Are you... We're all about the same, yeah. I would think. I mean, yeah, with the llamas, it's been you know, you son of a bitch. Yeah. <laughs> I've got ten pairs of underwear, ten pairs of socks, two pairs of pants, a pair of long johns, three tops. You know, uh, yeah, I get to carry a lot more clothing. Why and don't stay we have a llama? Well, I don't know. We may have to get llamas, but you backpack hunted for yeah, but yeah, probably twenty eight years before you got yeah. llamas, and you used goats every now yeah. and then, stuff. Didn't yeah, you? it was my equipment list when I was uh, backpack hunting was much more Spartan than it is <laughs> with uh, with llamas. No question about that. Yeah, for sure. I think uh, the other thing too, you because we've talked about this before, the flexible stiff boot thing. Yep. Um, you still are good though, right? Wearing flexible, yeah. you don't have any, I think it's genetic, man. I just think I... I mean, as far as when I say genetic, I just got girly feet. I can't, Frank, you're the same way. You wear stiff boots. Yeah, my feet will get tired, you know, no question about it, but I don't get blisters. Um, If I side-hilled in the boots you wore, my bottom of my feet would be so fucked up from hot spots. Oh, it'd be bad. And The only problem I had this year, um, as far as like foot soreness in that respect, was um, my pants had gotten wet. And ran, you know, got my top of my socks wet, which leached down into my socks. I had wet socks. I was doing a lot of side hilling. And then by the time I got back to camp, it felt like somebody had taken sandpaper across the top, you know, bottoms of my feet. And so they were pretty tender there for a couple of days. But, um, yeah, no, I'm pretty fortunate in that. yeah, I've had one blister on my foot, and, on, and interestingly enough, it was on the top of my foot where, you know, you cinch your laces down. Yeah. And I'd gotten pinched by the tongue of the boot or something like that. And so, yeah, I, I've got kind of, you know, I guess maybe unusual feet in that respect. But um, I, for me, the flexible boot comes into play twofold, mainly for me from a mule deer standpoint, from scrambling and rock slides and being able to kind of articulate my foot a lot more. And and, uh, I feel a lot safer with a more flexible boot going through rocks and, and, uh, you know, kind of scaling rock faces and stuff like that. I think it with that, with me just, well, you've seen, I think uh, I don't fall. Like I have fast feet. Mm -hmm. And so I think that helps. I guess what I'm saying is maybe if I wasn't as quick-footed, the stiffer boots would be more of a hindrance. A, a, a hindrance. Mm-hmm. But I don't – have you seen me fall? 
I remember you, I was thinking about this the other day because he doesn't fall. I fell three times on your pack out of your deer because yeah. we were going down the steep. I wanted to take the trail and he's like, I'm going down here. I'm like, I cut serious? off the trail, dude. It was steep. It was bad. I fell three times on that, but I was thinking like he does not ever fall, but you did. If this doesn't really count, but we were when we were with Colton on that bear hunt, you're crossing those logs. Oh, I fell through the log. He and fell through stuck. the log and got stuck. I had stuck my left his... leg above my head. <laughs> oh, dude, he my like... right leg was on the ground. It was like a set of scissors that were spread all the way out. <laughs> That's when yeah. like your yoga exercises uh, pay well, off. There. I tell you what, though, when you like with me, when I do fall, I'm probably gonna be injured. Like, but it's bad. Like, you know, when your front foot, like you did with your arrow with yep. a stick, but you got a hundred pounds on. Yeah, a couple times where I have fallen, it's bad, which probably leads me more to wearing the stiffer boots but i mean i just have to but there's times where i wish especially for noise and 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 like you're talking about but i mean i've got to come up with a better stalking the sock thing works on some terrain for me but like where i came down on those deer man it wasn't good i mean and my feet blew through the front of my socks (laughs) um and then just the fact that my socks are that of a three-year-old girl right or my feet I, i have tender feet I got to come up with something better. I tried those moccasins or just they weren't quiet enough. Mm-hmm. So I had a bunch of people send links to different, you know, I don't, rim, rim, rock, rim rocks. That's what yeah, I Yeah, the wore. rim rock stalkers. I didn't yeah. like them. I tried those up in Alberta. Um, and they're still loud on the sides. They're too, they're to me, they're too loud. Yeah, I think um, he makes them, um, at least I got in a prototype pair and they, I like the concept that he had there. Um, the pair that I had had Cordura on them. Yeah. Which to me is a, is a deal breaker. That's I, he, what I mean. He may they're have loud changed on the, side. The, the material on them. Um, and I love, you know, supporting guys within the hunting industry and they'll work for like compounds and stuff. I feel, you know, but if you're getting in, you know, feet versus yards, man. I mean, that's why I like my pants came off on this stock in Colorado because I had to, I was within 15 yards of those bucks when I, and I had to push through some willows. Yeah. And unless you're wearing polar fleece, you're not getting through it with pants on. Yeah. Frank always says that willows always fuck you and they do. Yeah. And, and it's funny, the one, you know how when you, you get home, I was talking about and like you're, your, your girlfriend or wife comes and your shoes and then you got your pants laying yeah. on your shirt. Shit, that one time I got to that point with that, I had shit strewn a <laughs> hundred yards behind me. Mm-hmm. And and at the point, I couldn't go down to my boxers yet. So I'd rolled my pants up as high as I possibly could, which was fine because they were low enough where they weren't hitting above like my knees. But my legs are so freaking white that yeah. I definitely get blown out from my legs. In fact, the one time Steve on that one deer, he's like, dude, I'm pretty sure the deer blew out because your legs. Because they're, <laughs> I got to start getting in the sun. My legs are white, yeah, white. That or throw a set of uh, camo long johns in with you and yeah, then you'd be golden there. Yeah, and Merino, I, that'd be quiet. That'd yeah. Be, yeah, that'd work. That'd probably be as quiet as your skin. But and there's things, you, go ahead. I was just going to say, I thought about doing that just so I stopped catching flack from my wife. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you're not going to stop. Anything in your boxers this year? <laughs> oh, that's funny. The uh, I think too the um, you know as far as there's we were talking about we wear the Alaskan guide creation chest yeah. harness mm-hmm. and that thing that's sometimes that you'll well, you're talking about rubbing on your knee mm-hmm. when you're things you don't even think about. Yeah, yeah, when you're that close, especially like you say with the stick bow or, or well, you were close when you shot with your compound. There's certain things that you don't think about. 
Well, like your feathers. Man, your yeah. feather rubbing up against a nylon set of pants. Man. You might as well just say, hey, I'm right here. Yeah, you might as well <laughs> rip some Velcro right there. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's loud. But the, um, the other thing, too, I was trying to make sure stick bow guys understood is every possible strap has got to be taped up and tied down mm-hmm. on the backpack, the chest harness. I even shot once and it ca- caught the extra of my belt. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, which is not great for accuracy. So there's all kinds of different things that I get messages from of guys like, have you ever had this happen? I'm like, yeah, it won't happen more than once. I can tell you that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, there's, there's so many things that can go wrong, you know, when you're hunting, let alone hunting with a stick bow. And those things just get magnified the closer you get to an animal or the more primitive your equipment is. Yeah. It seems like. Yeah, I've definitely had more than my share, it feels like. <laughs> it, yeah, it's bad. But, I, yeah, I had to bring that up while we were on it. I should have brought it up on the other one, but I had to get to the doctor. The uh, Amy was laughing, though, because I was messaging her, calling her each day. And and uh, and like she didn't say anything out of the gate or whatever, but when I brought it up, she giggled or whatever about the, when we were watching – she watched your video or whatever uh-huh. with me and uh, – and I, I know at one point in time, I was like, man, if I miss that many times, I'd stab myself in the eye. And I went ahead and did it. So <laughs> <laughs> I don't see an eye patch on I that. know. Yeah. She she was super cool. She was cool. I mean, she's obviously supportive or right, whatever. But right. when we got back, how long did we – we took gave it a little couple-day break. Two days, I think. Yeah, two-day break and, you know, hoping everything would calm down yeah. too. Physically-wise – I, that's, that's, I mean, other my hands look like I got hit with a hammer, but I mean, I, yeah, that's, I guess we went back. I went to the doctor. We had to go over to urgent care to get steroid cream. Dude, I, you got to Google that shit if you ever get yeah. into it. And it was funny because I was like, first I thought it was sun bumps and it started here. Uh-huh. And then it just started spreading and it got, and I didn't tell you about it till you came over and it, it literally looked like I had zits all over my hand, just hundreds of them. And, and I'm like... What in the hell did I? And I thought it was like maybe stinging nettle. And yeah. I'm thinking, man, I don't think there's any stinging nettle down there. And uh, it's just a green weed with white flowers on top, white stuff. Huh. Almost yeah. looks like a dandelion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's when we packed out my deer, it was, it's there. I mean, we looked for it when we came back in because at the time I didn't know until I got back. Yeah, I'm going to Google that while we're talking here well, so I can I, see what it looks like. It was uh, Tyler Friel. I was on the phone with him. And I think he was giving me like a sympathy talk or a pep talk. And I'm like, no, we're going back in, man. And I told him about my hands. And he's like, type in cow parsnip blisters. And uh, he's like, well, cow parsnip will do that. And immediately I Googled it. And I'm like, Jesus, that stuff was all over in there, I think. And then you you looked for it even more than I did probably. For whatever reason, that basin had like an excessive amount of those. It's parsnip full. Yeah. Because <laughs> I hardly ever see them. Yeah. Is it pulling up? Of course. This is no – Safari cannot open the page because your iPhone is not connected to the internet. You guys got bad service in here. We're living in a got one, box. one bar. The, uh, <laughs> here, I'll pull up. I'll, I've got a – hold on. I'll pull it up. Oh, here we go. Now it's coming. The result is intense burns, rashes, or blisters that often result in long-term scarring. Yeah, well, these scars aren't coming off of my hands. So that right there is what my hand looked like. Holy cow. 
Yeah, it was. And he was laughing when we were driving home. He's like, you're going to die. That dude yeah. looks like he went through a barbed wire fence. Like, you have syphilis on your hand. Just And <laughs> and it was funny because- um, What did you I, put on it when we got to the truck? Was it hand sanitizer? It made it way worse. Oh, yeah. I was like, maybe I just need to clean it. Yeah, wrong. Don't put hand sanitizer on it. It just made it swell up even more. Oh, that's nasty. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely have to learn the identity of that plant. Well, and the thing is, is I've been in the woods for- Oh, I've seen that stuff before. My entire life and never had it happen. So I'm like, Jesus, what did I get into? That's weird. Yeah. Yeah, because I've definitely seen those things before. Yeah, don't rub your hand on them. They're relatively tall there, huh? What, what, three foot? Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, probably. I think a lot of the time, a lot of them that I saw didn't have the little white things on them. Yeah, yeah, because so, they're dying towards yeah. the end of the year. Hmm. I don't yeah. know, but don't mess with it. I can tell you that. No kidding. Don't rub it on your hands. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> don't wipe with it. You, you know, say- one one thing worth mentioning um, that uh, that we found um, packing my elk out or, or processing my elk and then packing them out, I probably would have been better off because I had an elk kit, you know, a game bag kit. I probably would have been better off with two deer kits. Yeah. Yeah. Um, just to be able to divide, because I mean, 350 pounds divided by five, you're 70 pounds a bag if you divide it equally into five bags. But once we got to the llamas, luckily we had some garbage bags. Um, have, have you grabbed those debone bags? Because you use the, we use tag bags and uh, black Ovis bags. Yeah. Get the ones. I have to say, Kendall, you totally copied me and Larry Bartlett. It's identical. They're 75, 80 pounds each. Okay. And it's cylindrical and tall. Uh-huh. What's it comes with four and then it's for an elk or an average. It wouldn't have been for your elk. A f- four and then a backstrap tenderloin yeah, bag. Yep. Two of those would have been perfect. And right. it's for, a, it's boned out meat bags or, or whatever. Not to interrupt you, but that yeah. almost works perfect because all my buddies with llamas and horses, uh-huh. on horses, they'll take two per side. Yep. And on llamas, they'll take one per right. side. So, right. yeah, something to look at. Yeah. It's just something we got out there and realized we're kind of underprepared <laughs> in that respect. <laughs> well, I, I've i had uh, – when when Larry and I uh, came out with the, the boned out meat bags – they're great for a Colorado standard elk. Mm-hmm. And then Chris Molina, I think, called me and he shot a Rosie and he was like, Oh, dude. Dude, he's like, Are these supposed to make work for a whole elk? And I'm like, Well, I mean, <laughs> most elk. And he was like, Well, my elk won't fit. And I'm like, Well, you're going to have to carry two kits. Because, I mean, 350 pounds of meat is a crap load of meat. Yeah. Unfortunately, this doesn't do our listeners any good here, but a buddy of mine had 19 points there. Um, for uh, Roosevelt or for elk there in California. Is that the – he was on one of your videos, wasn't he? Yeah. Yeah, that's my buddy Leonard. Yeah. Um, so he uh, hauled that giant. thing in and got 716 pounds of meat off that thing. The The butcher figured it was 1,400 pounds on the hoof. When Leonard hauled it in, he goes, yeah, you got 30 pounds on the last beef that came in here. <laughs> <laughs> that's crazy. Show Frank that. Oh, you thing. Showed me earlier. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. And I mean, I've shot a couple as a, as a kid, you know, mm-hmm. you don't know any, especially back you know, in the late 80s, right? Yeah. But I shot a big Roosevelt, I guess, early 90s. And I remember packing the rear quarter, you know, and back then we didn't have, you know, carried on your shoulder or right, life, right. camp uh-huh. trails frame. 
and it must have been a 180-pound rear quarter or Good something, 160. Grief. And then I remember coming to Colorado and shooting, and I'm like, man, these things just seem smaller. You know, uh, well, it's because they're 400 pounds smaller. Yep. They're just way smaller. Yeah. No, those Roosevelt bulls are, are huge. Yeah, yeah, they certainly can be. What um, what was I going to ask you about the uh, – oh, your longbow limbs, just mm-hmm. so people are going to ask. When are yep. them coming out? So I – the the – the longbow limbs that I was shooting um, this year are my generation one. Um, I've already had generation two and I'm working on generation three. Yeah. So what is this uh, middle of third week of September right now? I would suspect that I'll probably be in production in a month on them. Gotcha. Yeah. And then I'm also going to have a 19 inch ILF riser. Currently the only size I build is 17. Yeah. So I'll be building a longer ILF riser that should be available first of the year. Gotcha. Cool. Cool. And then, uh, your new videos out and, yep. uh, what it's stalkerstickbow.com. It, yep. And it's, uh, if you go to the store there, I've actually got a deal on, uh, you know, the, if you buy the, just buy the new one, it's 20 bucks. You buy the both, um, the return to the backcountry and the original stalkers in the backcountry, and it's uh, thirty, save five bucks. And then I've got another the pig hunting video. Did I ever get you a copy of that? Mm-mm. Oh, dude, you got to watch that one. It's a, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a blast. There's a good rodeo in that one too. Yeah. But uh, you buy all three of those and you save uh, fifteen bucks. So gotcha. Yeah, I got some deals on them there and on the. The new. camera gear has definitely been upgraded from video one to video two. hundred percent. Yeah. hundred percent. Did you do that with a handy cam, the first one? Uh, Some of no, them? We, um, yeah. A, a couple of the, like the early Nevada hunts that my wife filmed were with a, kind of a more of a consumer grade. Yeah. 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 Um, but, and some of them may have been shot on tape too versus SD card. Jesus. So yeah, I was going back a ways. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, this new one um, is uh, the nice thing too is on the new one, it's a DVD and flash drive combo pack. So the DVD is the standard def DVD and then also comes with an HD flash drive in the same case there. So uh, if you have a, com- a smart TV or want to watch it on your computer, then you can watch an HD on that. And it does make a, a significant difference in quality. Yeah, no, that's cool. Yeah, Jay uh, Byers, who uh-huh. – this is funny. What I was going to give him crap, but it was in a message. He he listened to a podcast I did on photography, and he messaged me and said, I didn't know you were into photography. And I did that deal with them uh-huh. at Black Ovis. And specifically, I remember talking to him about photography and he literally treated me like a bastard stepson on uh-huh. photography. <laughs> and I was, I mean, I don't give a shit. I mean, I sure. just was like, he's like, oh, I shoot Canon 5D Mark IVs. And I'm like, oh, I had Mark IVs, but I, I got rid of the Canons and got Sonys. I was like, oh, and then that was the end of the conversation. Uh-huh. And he mess. He's like, I didn't know you were into photography, and I felt like saying, oh yeah, I only had a full conversation with you, you asshole, or whatever. But <laughs> he, um, he does he because Sitka is one of his uh, clients, clients, mm-hmm. and then he does a bunch of ski Yeti stuff, and, and yeah, yeah Yeti, mm-hmm. and he does um because I he he does both. What do you want to call it? Outdoor adventure yep. and hunting. So he right. does a little bit of everything. He um did he go with you? I guess what is leading up to this year? Not on not this year. He uh, the la- the previous couple of years he had been yeah. and uh, and he didn't this year. And of course you know get that 
awesome opportunity. He would have probably been he he loves going with you on the stock, and yeah. I'm sure he would have been right over my shoulder when I shot that buck at six yards. But um, no, that, uh, he's a great dude. He uh, man, you talk about a freak when it comes to physical fitness and hiking. And that's what everybody's told yeah. me. Just a machine, oh, man. It, it, it's so discouraging when you're up there <laughs> and you're sucking along, and he's running circles around you, shooting pictures, and running up 50 yards ahead of you. You know, up a steep incline, and we'll get in you shoot shooting you on your way up. And he's never been at. I've never seen the dude out of breath. Yeah, it's like, oh my goodness, man. This this sucks. Yeah, that's. <laughs> funny no that's cool though yeah he seems like a hell of a guy i was gonna when i got more time shoot the shit with him more because i get people that bug me to do stuff that i don't yeah have time for yeah and um send them his way or whatever um yeah he's a good dude yeah no it seems like it did kendall end up getting a deer nope he had his tag this year yeah do you have some opportunities though um i think he had some stocks i I was only around a couple of days. Um, I don't think he got it. Yeah, no, he, he did have a couple of stocks, I think. Yeah. Yeah. He's another Kendall's a good dude. He's funny. Yeah, super good guy. And another one where, you know, Black Ovis being able to support the guys in the hunting industry, you know, while buying some of that stuff to kind of cross over into the backpacking industry, carries, you know, that stuff that you'd want to pick up at REI or, you know, traditionally pick up at REI. That's one thing nice with – but he pretty much carries almost everything like Frank and I and you use. Mm-hmm. And what's yep. nice is if he doesn't carry it, he'll just pick it up, yeah. you know, or whatever. Right. He, he'll ask too. He'll ask me. Um, I'm sure he does the same with you. Yeah. Like, hey, what do you think about this or whatever? Um, so, yeah, which is nice because he's got everything from high-end water, you know, the water purification to stoves and sleeping bags, food. He's got it, everything yeah. on there. He just gets mad at me when I call him Ichabod Crane. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, that's the only time I've ever seen him pissed. Really? Yeah, I, I don't know. He's pissed. He just uh, was like, <laughs> and then changed the subject. I was like, uh oh, not necessarily right. bad. That yeah. Johnny Depp was Ichabod Crane. Yeah, wasn't yeah. He? yeah. Hey, hey, there you go. There, he gets more ass than a toilet seat. Yeah. <laughs> Frank, anything? I got nothing there. <laughs> oh Lord! All right, we should. Man, we're, we're at two hours. Holy cow! We should get off this thing. Yep, go make some money, huh? Cool. Yeah. Cool. Well, thanks for coming back on, man. Sure thing. Yeah, I enjoyed it, and uh, yep, appreciate it. Yep.